a kind critique of the five love languages on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. Today on the podcast, I have with me Dr. Jim Neuheiser. What a great friend Jim is to so many people. I'm so thankful for his relationship to me, uh, not just as a friend, but also as a board member at ACBC. He's been a longtime member of ACBC as well. He also serves as the Director of Christian Counseling Programs at the Reformed Theological Seminary, RTS, in Charlotte. And he's also the executive director of one of our training centers, IBCD. And so, brother, I am so thankful that you're here. Maybe I missed an important point that you are also the husband of Caroline Neuheiser, one of our beloved certified members who teaches so well um, to so many of our women's issues. And so, brother, I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you for joining us today to, to talk about this book. It's my joy to be with you, Dale. Dr. Neuheiser, as we get into talking about Gary Chapman's book, this has been a very very successful book. And so many people, even in our Christian community, have embraced this book and and love this book. But to say the least, we want to, there are a few concerns. And I think first, let's set the context, because always when we critique, we want to be fair uh, and try and represent what the book is trying to say. So what, what is the actual message of the Love Languages book? I think that Gary Chapman recognizes a problem. He describes a problem of many marriages where it begins with a great deal of romantic gusto and excitement and euphoria. And then over time, it kind of wears out. And his theory would be that over time, as the relationship is wearing out, it's like the love tank is emptying Mm -hmm. and that each partner needs something to fill that love tank. And this is an explanation he would give when the tank is empty for divorces and affairs. And so his idea would be you need to find out your spouse's love language in order to fill the tank and to you know, make them happy in the relationship. And his concern would be we have different love languages. And so if my way of showing love is acts of service and my wife wants quality time, then I'm not filling her tank. I'm putting diesel into the unleaded or something. Mm -hmm. And so the relationship sputters and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And so if I could just be educated as to what her love language is, then all of a sudden her tank would be filled and our marriage would flourish. Mm -hmm. That's helpful because I I think that does build exactly the analogy that, that, that he uses in this idea. But for us, what makes the book so popular, maybe so appealing um, as we read it? I think it's like a lot of other popular things like the Enneagram and the personality types where people can look at it and say, yeah, that really does describe me. And some of this you could see from Scripture where in 1 Peter 3, 7, that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way, that she's a weaker vessel, she's different from you. And it's right, we are different from each other. And so there is some common grace wisdom in the idea of rather than doing for your spouse what you would like done for you, you figure out what they yearn for, and like Philippians 2, considering others more important than yourself. And so not just what, again, if I were her, what would I want? But what does she want? Because she's different from me. And so in terms of understanding each other and caring for each other and recognizing the differences, there's common grace wisdom in that. 
Yeah, and so even as we think about the love languages concept, we might have a tendency to to swing in one direction and say, you know, I, I love this and it's a hill on which to die, and I can't believe that you people would even have anything negative to say about it. And then you have sort of another extreme where uh, we would say it all belongs in the dumpster kind of thing. And and uh, but the question that we should ask is, and, and you've even mentioned some of this as far as uh, common grace understanding here. Um, is there any value to some of the concepts in the Love Languages book? The way I first read it a few years ago was actually someone who is an ACBC certified counselor who said, this book really helped me. Yeah. And we're thinking, no, that couldn't happen mm-hmm. because I already knew some of the problems with it. But in this particular situation, she was saying, my husband didn't really know what I yearned for. And this helped me to identify what I yearned for. And once I explained it to him and vice versa, it improved our marriage. And so that part of the concept of understanding each other better, and even the categories he puts the love languages into, it does, I think it's a, it's an oftentimes that which is not explicitly biblical can have common grace wisdom in observing human problems, observing human behavior, human nature. And so I think it's a useful categorization of the kinds of things people like done for them. Mm-hmm. And some people can have benefit when they understand, oh, that's what my spouse really wanted, or that's what I really am yearning for. And if I could communicate that to my spouse, he might or she might do a better job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I think that's an absolutely very charitable way to to describe some of those concepts. Now, as we look at it maybe a little bit more in detail, uh, there there is some caution, certainly. So what are what are some of the things that you're seeing that, that may be missing from the book uh, to make it certainly a complete explanation of, of how we should think about love within marriage? I think that you can take a book like The Love Languages and you can see that it has some of the same both strengths and weaknesses to many non-biblical counseling paradigms where it makes some accurate representations or understanding of human nature and maybe even some common grace answers, prescriptions to provide a certain amount of pain relief from suffering, but it misses out on what's most important. And I can rattle through a few things very quickly. Is you know, his authority is basically experience rather than the Bible. When the Bible is referenced, it's used very vaguely and moralistically, not in a gospel-centered way, and not even as an authoritative way. Mm-hmm. Uh, his goal, which is the one of the big problems of the book, rather than the goal being that you know, whether alive or dead, our goal is to glorify God, mm-hmm. the primary goal is human happiness. So mm-hmm. it's man-centered as, a, as opposed to God-centered. Mm-hmm. His understanding of human nature is also primarily from a psychological perspective. He talks about children as well, how every child has an emotional love tank waiting to be filled with love, and that it gets down to his understanding of the problem. The problem is basically that we're basically good people, and if we just got our needs met, we wouldn't misbehave. And he applies that both in marriage and he applies it in uh, children and and otherwise. It doesn't understand that our problem is human sin. Mm and merely you know, buying some gifts or scheduling some quality time is not going to resolve that, which gets to the most crucial problem, which is that the solution that he gives is very shallow in the sense of act, I would say, morally or moralistically, do a better job of being a good husband or a good wife, whereas for us, the solution is centered in the gospel, that I... I who have received perfect, forgiving, and gracious love from God am able to show love to somebody else, not based upon what they deserve, not based upon whether my love tank is being filled by them, but that through, you know, I've received grace, 
And ultimately, it's Christ, not my spouse, who fills, if you will, my love tank. I don't like using that language exactly for Jesus, but uh, you know, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8 says, don't trust in men or you'll be like the bush in the desert. Trust in God, you'll be like the tree planted by rivers of water. Mm-hmm. And the book never really gets beyond the horizontal mm-hmm. when the key thing is the vertical. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, there's like one little bit in there where he actually describes where one spouse shows love when they're not getting it back. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time there's kind of a whiff of the smell of the gospel. And, and I'm thankful for that, but I think it falls short of a gospel-centered approach that biblical counseling would offer. I think that a book like this mm-hmm. is true of a lot of other common grace approaches. I think it has a lot of commonality with something like love and respect, mm-hmm. where one spouse yearns for respect, the other spouse yearns for love. Those are accurate descriptions of what people want. It's similar to the love languages thing, except for it's one instead, you know, those two particular things instead of the five love languages. But again, it's, it's too much on the horizontal level of I must have my needs met. I think another concern would be that people can actually, I think it can have a backward effect on some marriages where the spouse gets the idea, well, I need someone who connects in quality time. And my spouse is an engineer who isn't good at quality time. Therefore, my situation is hopeless. Mm -hmm. And there's not anything about the covenantal bond of marriage where for better or for worse, et cetera, you've committed to this person until death parts you. Mm -hmm. And then showing grace to them in their weakness rather than insisting, well, because this is my love language, this is, uh, you know, this must be met for me. Or it could be, I'm just not good at the thing my spouse needs. And there's a sense of hopelessness. Whereas, Christ, that the gospel can both transform me to better love than I did before. It also is a focus upon you know, giving graciously. But also Christ can, through the gospel, give me grace if I don't think my yearnings for marriage are perfectly being met by my sinful, fallible spouse. Mm-hmm. I can have my ultimate need met in Christ. Uh, one other criticism that my wife would make is pegging people with one language. She says she is multilingual, (laughs) (laughs) that she likes every single one of those five things. Mm -hmm. She wants quality time and gifts and Mm -hmm. uh, physical touch and whatever it is, Mm -hmm. uh, she wants it. And someday she wants one thing and something she wants another. Mm -hmm. That's also where it may be like some of the personality tests that people kind of get pegged and they identify themselves that way, where I think the gospel is more fluid and flexible of how it transforms us. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes getting those labels put on ourselves or on our spouses can be unhelpful. Jim, this is really helpful, honestly, in a couple of different directions. First of all, in helping us to be wise in how to read a book, uh, how to understand some of the concepts that are, that are promoted. And so I appreciate the way that you're, you're being very gracious, but you're also being very honest uh, with the backdrop of the Scripture, helping us to see and understand the second thing that I would say that, that, that I would add to even some of the things that, that you've mentioned so far is this is often what happens um, when we become problem-focused, when, when we look at, as you mentioned, very real problems in the ways that we would express them. Uh, I'm not experiencing love, or I, I, would, I, would, I want to be loved well, or I want to love my spouse well. When we look at those as being problems that need to be answered, uh, we have a tendency to just say, we're willing to do whatever it takes to fix that, to remove that issue, as opposed to, let's take a step back and say, what did God intend from marriage in the first place? God intended marriage for us to 
walk together in faithful love, which means self-sacrificing on a consistent basis to reflect the character and nature of God. Now that explains why we have the problems that we have, and it, and it helps to not dismiss those problems, but put them into an understandable uh, fashion that relates particularly to the gospel. Um, and God explains those problems better than any other man's uh, of, of man's system. So, I mean, this is very helpful, I think, in, in multiple ways. I pray that our listeners will pay attention to the way that you've done this in a very charitable way, but an honest way, according to Scripture. Because, um, again, I know this is a popular book, and so I pray that you'll read it with uh, wise and mature thinking in mind as well. I found an article from years ago in the Journal of Biblical Counseling where David Pallison, whom everybody regards to be the most gentle, charitable mm-hmm. reader, and yet I think that his analysis of the weaknesses of the book is very profound. And he recognizes, he says that his advice seems so doable, speaking of the book. A bit of education, a bit of self-effort are all that is needed for life to sing. The marriages in his book don't need Jesus' blood, sweat, and tears. The people don't need help and power from outside themselves even to stumble in the right direction. They don't need Jesus to come back because they consider the current fixing adequate. And I think that captures so much of when people try to Christianize psychological self-help. For people who already have decent marriages, they can be made better sometimes. Mm -hmm. But for people who are in the ditch, only the gospel can bring the transformation that's necessary, not human effort. And even the people whose marriages are slightly improved, if the gospel is not central, it may make if, if the goal is merely to live a bit more peaceably and be a little bit happier, this may help. If the goal is to live for the glory of God, it falls way short. It's very helpful, Jim, and, and I know this will be helpful to those who are, who are listening as well. Thank you, brother, for being bold enough to, to speak in this way, but also demonstrate the, the kind heart of Christ in the way in which you did it. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now, I want to mention to you, I know for many of you, this was an intriguing topic, and uh, I want to encourage you. Um, Jim actually had the opportunity at our 2020 annual conference this past year to record a breakout on this specific subject, and it's a more full expression um, of a kind and generous critique of this book, The Five Love Languages, which is, again, very, very popular. So I want to encourage you uh, to seek that out on our website. You can find that particular resource. And I want to remind you as well that there were over 50 breakouts that were recorded for this past year's annual conference that you can avail yourself to. You can find Jim's uh, breakout session and many, many more at our website, biblicalcounseling.com.